Morning. We, and I'm sad to tell you, I don't know which Wednesdays, but we regularly have Wednesday services uh, here. Uh, and they focus particularly on uh, growing in our life in Christ, growing in our knowledge and experience of the Holy Spirit. And this past Wednesday uh, was, I thought, a very good Wednesday. Time of worship and a time of testimony, right? A time when people share what the Spirit, what the Holy Spirit had done in them, what the Holy Spirit had done for them, particularly with regard to our Revive conference last week. And this morning, uh, continuing some of this kind of theme, I want to consider with you uh, two particular works of the Holy Spirit. You've heard me talk about this in different contexts before, uh, but two particular works of the Holy Spirit, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and the saturating work of the Holy Spirit. Those are our categories for the morning. Let's pray. Father, we bow in your presence for you alone are worthy of praise. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would give us the gift of your Holy Spirit. You told us in your word today that you would give us a spirit of truth who would guide us into truth to make known to us the things that are of God. We pray that your Holy Spirit would come alongside us and be our helper. He would open his word to us. And finally, and always, we pray that the surpassing glory of Jesus Christ might be our greatest concern. In his name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> All right, a question for you as we begin. How did the early church, right, how did the early church in a span of roughly 300 years turn the then-known world upside down? How did this little band of 20-some people, witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, how did they explode to roughly 30 million adherents of the Christian faith by the 4th century? Now, certainly a large part of their success lay in the message, right, that through Jesus Christ, all people could find freedom and salvation, freedom from the things that held them in fear and bondage, salvation ultimately from eternal death. That was the message. But it wasn't just the message that caused them to bear such fruit. It was word, yes, but it was also word and spirit. Yes, the early church embraced the apostolic message. This is the challenge in every generation, to embrace the apostolic message of Scripture, what we know to be the New Testament. But they were also empowered by a genuine experience of God, by the very presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. So when they spoke, they didn't simply just speak about Jesus and things that they believed. They spoke of Jesus, of someone that they knew. And this has been the pattern throughout history. Word and spirit, tell and show, proclamation and demonstration. The sanctifying and the saturating work of the spirit in the lives of individual men and women. Pause here. We do not do a good job keeping together the things that God means to keep together. We hear in a wedding ceremony, every time it's done, what God has joined together, let no one put asunder. That's just not man and woman. Those are the things of God. 
Because we tend to fall off on one side of that cracker or the other, right? We tend to fall off on word-only people or spirit-only people. But to grow into Christ is to have both. And Acts chapter 2 records for us the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon the church, upon that little group of 20-some people. It was the fulfillment of Moses' prayer in Numbers chapter 11. Would that the Lord pour out his Spirit on all people. It was the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy in chapter 31. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. It's the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy in Joel chapter 2. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions, even on male and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit. The book of Acts communicates a simple message that everyone who would follow Christ, right? Our whole life is dependent on the work of the Spirit in our lives. Our coming to faith is a product of the work of the Spirit. Our Christian growth is a result of the Holy Spirit. Our unity in the church is created by the Holy Spirit. Our evangelism and our mission is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Our understanding of God's Word is a result of the work of the Spirit. Our hearing from God, our healing, the restoration of marriages and families, our insight into the things of God, our servanthood, our Christian character, all are the consequence of the power of God at work in our lives by His Spirit. But I also want to be very clear, because I want to hold these things together. There is most definitely something to believe with regard to the Christian faith. And we can never let go of that. Jesus reminds us of this in the gospel that we heard read this morning, when he talked about the very work of the Spirit. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. There is substance to the Christian faith. There is something to believe. But there's also something more. There is someone to know. Someone to receive. Someone to experience. Yes, the Christian faith has something to believe, but the Christian faith also goes beyond our heads. It also involves our hearts. If I told Jackie, I love you with all my head, she might, just might, find that inadequate. The Christian faith involves an encounter with the person of the Holy Spirit, an experience of God through the Holy Spirit. Again, Looking back on my marriage, if someone were to ask me, are you married? And I said, well, yes, I'm married, but I have no real experience of marriage. You would rightly think something's amiss. Something's missing. And it is. Something's missing. And I tell you this because there are large swaths of the church today that tells Christians not to worry about experience. It's not our starting point. You heard that last week for Sam. Right? Concern yourself with the truth. That's enough, some say. And on one hand, I have no quarrel with that. 
I do not wait for a subjective experience of God before I obey God. The Christian life is not me waiting around for an experience to do what is right or what is good. I act in faith based on truth, on the truth of God's word. We know what God's word says. Scripture shows us what God's will is. And we, I, submit to that truth, to God's will, regardless of how I feel about it. But the Bible also consistently presents the Holy Spirit as someone who can be and is meant to be experienced, right? A few biblical witnesses. The Apostle Peter wrote truths for us to believe, but he also spoke of his experience. 1 Peter 1.8, he wrote that as we encounter God, we experience joy unspeakable. The Apostle Paul, who wrote some of the most profound and dense texts of Scripture and theology, said in Romans chapter 5, God's love is poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Question, is that just doctrine? Is that just something to believe? Or is that also an experience that Paul had of God? Again, Paul, Romans 8 writes that we've received the Holy Spirit, and by this Holy Spirit we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God if we are in Christ. Is that heart cry, Abba, Father, is that just simply an expression of right belief? Or is it also the consequence of a genuine personal encounter with the Holy Spirit? The work of the Spirit in our lives is always a picture of a regenerated life. Think back to Ezekiel, great Old Testament prophet Ezekiel, chapter 37. God brings the prophet to a desert valley, and in this desert valley are literally littered the bones of dead men. And then God asked Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel gives a great answer. It's not yes or no, right? It's a good pattern for us. You know, O Lord. Ezekiel, can these bones live? You know, O Lord. And then while Ezekiel watched, the Holy Spirit tells Ezekiel, command these bones to live. And then as Ezekiel watches, we are told that the Spirit of God breathed upon those dry bones. And as he watched, they grew sinews and muscle and flesh and these dead men came back to life. Now, why do I tell you that? I tell you that because very candidly, some here today are as dead as those bones in the valley. You might not be physically dead. You may be as physically fit as you could, could be. You, you may be intellectually fit. Your mind may be sharp, your wit sharp, but spiritually, with regard to your relationship with God, you are dead to God, dead in terms of your experience of God, dead in terms of your awareness of God, dead until the Holy Spirit makes you alive to the reality of God. Jesus said to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, but wait in the city until this happens. They needed supernatural power. And when the Holy Spirit fell on them, 
They were empowered by the Spirit, not for their own good alone, but they were empowered for mission. They had greater effectiveness, well, effectiveness, period, in witness and in ministry. They had power over the influence of sin in their lives. They had power for victory over Satan and the forces of darkness. But Jesus told them it would also be an accompanying spirit. Sometimes we have no experience of God because we place ourselves in no circumstance that we can't manage in our own strength. Sometimes people will tell you well-meaningly that God won't give you anything more than you can handle. Well, I promise you God's going to allow things in your life to happen that you cannot handle. Because part of the point is to persuade you that you are inadequate to handle this life on your own. We need the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, right? To make us alive. To make us like Christ. To make us righteous. Jesus speaks of this in the Gospel of John today. Paul spoke about it in our reading from Romans. And I realize that being made righteous is not a very popular topic in today's world. If you go to Barnes & Noble, people want to know, how can I have a happy marriage? How can I raise my kids? What can God do for me? But a primary work of the Spirit is to make you righteous. That's what he's come to do in your life. Again, from the Gospel of John a few chapters earlier. If I go, I'll send him to you. Who's he? Jesus says, I'll send the helper to you. And when he comes, he'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Very candid question. Do you aspire to righteousness? What does it mean to be made righteous? Very simply, I would say being made righteous means being made like Jesus. It means Christ-likeness. The power of the Holy Spirit is at work in you, in work in me, to make us look and live like Jesus. And how did Jesus live? He was confident in his identity. He was secure in his Father's love. He was not shaped by what other people thought of him. He did not validate his life by what he possessed or what college he went to or what his address was. He did not measure the fruitfulness of his ministry or the faithfulness of his father by the response of the crowds. Because we read that all would abandon him. He was at peace with himself. Being like Jesus means that you're increasingly confident in your identity as a child of God. You're increasingly secure in your Heavenly Father's love for you. And because you're increasingly confident and because you're increasingly secure, the Spirit gives you the ability to turn your attention to others and to love people who are different than you. Different in background. Different in education. Different age. Being like Jesus means that you increasingly speak well of others instead of criticizing or bad-mouthing or gossiping. You increasingly see the best in others when others see the worst. Wouldn't it be nice to be like Jesus? Wouldn't it be nice to be secure? 
and confident. No need to prove yourself. No need to validate yourself. To grow in gratitude and love, right? How does this happen? Because it is meant to happen. How does it happen? How do we live like Jesus? Well, it happens, friends, by the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? The same Holy Spirit who regenerates you, who makes you new, who makes you alive to the things of God, who brings new birth. This same Holy Spirit that regenerates us also makes us righteous. He makes us like Jesus. Chapter before our gospel this morning in John chapter 15, Jesus said to his disciples, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, though, you can do nothing. And this truth remains true for every disciple. Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. Some of us grew up with a kid song about that. As we live in dependence on the Holy Spirit, growing with the Holy Spirit, meditating on the Spirit's word, praying and worshiping God, we and as we consciously and intentionally yield control of our wills to the Holy Spirit, as we come to the Spirit moment by moment, circumstance by circumstance, saying, Holy Spirit, I yield to you. I surrender to you. I won't resist you. I'll follow your lead. I'll submit to your thoughts. I'll submit to your plans. As we follow Jesus' pattern, when we're faced with a circumstance and simply say, Father, what are you doing here and how am I to respond? The Spirit works in our lives to make us increasingly look like Jesus. There's one more thing I want you to see this morning. And it's the saturating power of the Spirit. Right? This is one of the reasons we do revive conferences. That we might know the saturating work of the Spirit. The sanctifying work of the Spirit is the work of the Spirit that changes our character. The saturating aspect of the Spirit departs a different dimension of life to us. The power for living. The sanctifying work of the Spirit is a gradual, slow, ongoing process. Right? There's no instant sanctification. There's no system download that downloads righteousness. Righteousness is like the sap of that branch flowing through our lives. We become alive to Christ, and then over time, the life of Christ conforms us to the image of Christ. But the saturating work of the Holy Spirit is often instantaneous. It's direct. It's like a sudden wave. Sanctification is the Spirit's ordinary work. Saturation is His extraordinary work. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my favorite preachers of the previous century and authors, wrote in his book, Joy Unspeakable, and offered this image. You can walk down a country road through a light drizzle without an overcoat. And if you walk long enough, you will get thoroughly wet. At other times, you may go outside and encounter, encounter a cloudburst and get soaking wet in a matter of seconds. In both cases, it is raining, but there is a world of difference between a drizzle and a downpour. Now, it's not either or. It's both and in the Christian life. And this is what happens to the disciples. And they set a pattern for us. For three years, they walked with Jesus. The sanctifying power of the living word 
of the Spirit of Christ at work in them, shaping them into the image of their Lord. And that work did not stop when our Lord returned to glory. It continued throughout the whole of their lives. But in Acts chapter 2, they encountered something else. They experienced a downpour, the power of Jesus that he told them to wait for. And trying to explain what happened in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, Peter said, In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Right? Pause here. I grew up under the influence of a guy named Chuck Irish, who founded ERM, Episcopal Renewal Ministries. It was based out of our church. And I remember Chuck commenting on this passage any number of times. And he used to tell us that Jesus did not say, I will drizzle on the church or I will dribble on the church. Not I will drizzle on your life, but I will pour out my spirit. Jesus promised the presence and the power of his Holy Spirit would be poured out on his disciples. And this was to be a spiritual drenching, an ongoing gifting of power, and it did not end with the apostles. The book of Acts says again, and we hear this every single baptism in this church. The book of Acts says, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. And this gift of the Spirit is for you and for your children and looking down through time for all who are far off. And as I look back over 30-some years of ministry, I have seen the sanctifying power of the Spirit at work in people's lives, many people's lives, changing their character. But I've also seen the saturating power of the Holy Spirit. And I see the saturating power of the Holy Spirit transforming life in a moment. They were this, but now they're this. And I've also discovered that you can have one activity of God in your life without the other. You can be sanctified without being saturated. You could be saturated without being sanctified, right? What does that mean? Well, here's what it means. It means that you may be increasingly Christ-like in your character. The fruit of the Spirit being born with increasing evidence, and yet you may have very little spiritual power for witness or for healing or for prophesying. You may be very knowledgeable and not very effective. I've also seen others who are saturated by the Spirit, accomplish wonderful things for God, and yet they demonstrate very little of Christ's character. And we, sadly, from time to time, see this in the church, spectacular crash and burns. But as I read the Old Testament, friends, I'm convinced that God means for us to have both. In fact, he wants us to have it all, to suddenly experience his presence, to come alive in him, to be drenched, and to be sanctified, to know the ongoing, drizzling work of the Spirit of God in our lives, producing the character of Jesus in our lives. I talk to many, many people dealing, wrestling, struggling, feeling condemned by besetting sin who never avail themselves of the means of grace, of prayer, that that ongoing sanctifying work of the Spirit might be at work in their lives. And I've met many, many folks who have faithfully attended church week after week, year after year, know many things about Jesus. 
but have not had and do not have an ongoing experience of a living God. You are not meant to live in either of those ways. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. And we wrestle with any number of things. Our own sense of inadequacy, the condemning voices in our ears that remind us of how sinful we are and how disqualified we are. Maybe just that nagging sense that he just won't do it for me. All are lies. We know they're lies because of the word. We know they're lies because the spirit bears witness to our spirit, the truth about who we are. And maybe today, you need to get prayer. You know, we talk about prayer in this church, not because it's a magic formula, but because it's the means of grace. It is, for lack of a better word on my part, the conduit by which God engages his people. Can he do it outside of that? Yes. But when he tells us to pray, we might want to pray. And you can do this yourself, of course. But he also tells us to go to one another to pray. So week after week, we have prayer teams to pray with you. That you might see sanctification in your life. That you might gain victory over the besetting sins of your life but that you also might have the immediate experience of the presence of God in your life. To have a genuine experience of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, to be quite simple, we need you. And in our hearts today, we pray, Holy Spirit, come. Come with your sanctifying power. Come with your saturating power. Come shape us into the image of Christ. Come make us know that we know that we know that we are your children. I pray, Lord, today for grace that those who are thirsty for this may accept the invitation of the Spirit to come. And I pray, Lord, for those who will be prayed for and for those who are praying that they will both have a sense of the Spirit of God leading and guiding them that those in need might find their heart's desire. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.